Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Dr. Anne Demeray. Anne holds a PhD in psychology from New York University. She is the founder of First Impression Inc., where she helps people to make great first impressions. She has over 20 years of experience in leadership development, executive coaching, and communication training. She's also the co-author of the book, First Impressions, What You Don't Know About How Others See You. Anne, can you tell me a little bit about your background, the work you do, and how you got into it? Sure. Um, I have a background in psychology. In fact, I did a lot of like neuroscience research-based um, work in my graduate program, but I really liked the applied stuff. So after I graduated, I started doing applied work, which was really fun, and it was specifically in the business world. I was doing kind of business psychology, so we would do um, workshops where we would put people through simulations, you know, working with a difficult person or um, influencing someone, and then giving them really specific behavioral feedback about how they come across, what messages are they're sending that are really effective, and maybe some messages that send, send unintended negative messages, and it's a really, really helpful way to learn. And then I thought everyone could benefit from this methodology, but it's really only available at that time anyway to business people. So a colleague and I thought, well, how could we bring this to the, the general world? And, you know, who would be most interested in getting feedback about how they come across? So we thought people that are in the dating world are really motivated to know about how they come across. Um, all of us have gone on dates, and some of them are successful and some aren't, but no one ever tells us specifically why it didn't go well or what we did that was really effective and charming and what was maybe off-putting. So we started a little business um, called First Impressions, Inc., and we did dating simulations. We'd go on a simulated date with people, then go back to our office and give them this feedback and give them you know, some tools to understand the messages that they're sending. And um, now we've expanded the business, so we have job interview coaching. We do a lot of executive coaching as well, um, seminars on the topic, and we also have a kind of a 360 survey, if everyone's familiar with that, where you ask many people in your world to rate you on your interpersonal style and first impression skills, and you know you get anonymized feedback about how you come across. And also we um, were approached by an agent to write a book about the topic. So we wrote a book called First Impressions, What You Don't Know About How Others See You. Um, it's published by Random House, and it's in uh, 24 languages. So that's been a big success, and it was a good way for us to kind of um, create our messages that could be accessible to everyday people and not just you know, business executives, as I mentioned. So awesome. When, when you started this project, my assumption is that there are some things that you didn't expect that you would find. What are some of the things that you came across that you didn't expect to find and some of the people that you work with don't expect to find? As far as like impressions themselves, right? Because we were on the subject of impressions. Yeah. So what kind of things do people, we found by going through many, many of these simulated dates and, and talking about them, we discovered you know, what was really effective, what most people did well, and what were some of the very common errors that people make. Um, so um, another interesting finding um, relative to your audience, um, the majority of the people that approached us were men, more, much more than women. 
And um, we don't know why, but we hypothesize that men um, maybe have fewer resources or outlets or comfort level in talking about their dating life with their friends the way women do or seeking feedback and come to professionals for that. So that was um, uh, interesting to ex experience. Um, so we had lots and lots of men that we still work with. Um, but we learned that people have, um, a lot of times they, um, specifically men, make some, have some challenges where they don't show enough interest in the other person. And we all know that we should be more interested in people. Um, but people can sometimes be unaware of the fact that they might ask a question, for example, um, and listen to the answer, but then very quickly segue back to themselves. So they feel like they're showing a lot of interest, but um, in the end, they actually do more of the talking and segue things back to themselves. Now, every conversation is um, a back and forth where something that you say reminds me of an experience I had and I want to share that. That's part of normal conversational interaction. But under the pressure of trying to, um, you know, be on a first date or a job interview and you want to make, you know, a positive impression on someone, sometimes we overplay that and feel like if we talk more and share more and tell more, we'll come across more positively. And so sometimes people that wouldn't normally do that when they're with close friends and family fall into a pattern in a new situation that doesn't represent their, their real self. So how would somebody recognize that they're doing that, Anne, and what should they do differently? So there are some really easy techniques. Um, a lot of stuff about first impressions is really easy but not always intuitive. So it's good to have open-ended questions versus closed-ended questions like, Chris, you know, tell me about yourself and, you know, what, what, what keeps you busy and what do you like to do? That's a different kind of opening than, say, Chris, do you have a pet? which is a yes-no, and that can, if you don't have one, that might be, and say, I'm a pet person, that's just going to conversation ender. So start with open-ended questions. And then if you start to tell me something that you like to do, show follow-up, um, have follow-up questions and show continued interest. Um, sometimes if you tell me something that you do or the, a hobby that you have and I don't know anything about it and I feel ignorant, there might be a tendency for me to try to change the topic. But people love to talk about their passions and their hobbies. So instead of segueing off of that, explore it. Say, wow, I don't know anything about, um, you know, polo or whatever you do that I feel ignorant about. Tell me about that. How did you get into it? What do you like about it? What's fun? Um, you can learn a lot, and it makes that person feel really respected and have the spotlight shining on them. So um, that's a really easy way to do things. And then be aware, like if you're someone that tends not to have a, you know, the, the ease of introducing topics, the more you ask questions and show interest, the easier it is for you to keep a conversation really um, vibrant. And so it takes a lot of the pressure off of you. Pay attention, like I said, how quickly you segue back to yourself. It is okay to say, I like to play sports too. I personally like to do, um, you know, I'm a runner or something. And that's fine, but be aware of. And um, again, one thing I'm going to keep stressing is if you ask feedback from people, if you tend to socialize with some friends and you want to be aware of how you come across initially, say, hey, after this evening, let me know what I did well. Um, and if, you know, I know I have a tendency sometimes to, to speak too much when I'm meeting someone new. Let me know if I do that well and, um, or if you see me slipping back to my old style. The more you tell someone you want to be better at something and ask them for feedback, the more likely you are to be mindful of it and more likely that you are to actually um, adjust your behavior. 
And it can be just making little, you know, simple steps like this time I'm going to try to speak 10% less or 20% less. Make a little goal for yourself. It's much easier to keep that in mind. I, one of the things that came up is what what if you're in a situation where you're in, interacting with somebody and they're sort of doing this with you, right? So like you don't feel like you have the opportunity to um, to, to express turn yourself. The questions back. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting because it's going to feel good, and I'll talk a little bit about this sense of social generosity too. Um, it's going to feel good for a while, and then what happens, which is a really positive thing, is you begin begin to feel genuinely interested in the other person because you feel, you know, so respected and liked that you'll naturally reflect and say, hey, I'd love to hear more about you. And so it's, um, it stimulates that kind of mutual curiosity. So um, I did once have a simulated date with a guy who had a list of questions he asked to date. And at first it felt really, really good. You know, what do you like to read? What do you like, you know, what kind of movies or, or you know, Netflix binges do you have, etc. And then it became sort of mechanical. And then he revealed later that he has an actual set of questions that's actually laminated in his pocket that he asks. It felt really good for a while until it felt like I was being interrogated. But um, generally more people err on the other side and don't do a lot of that really strong interest showing um, behaviors. So um, it's, it's not that hard if that person is um, open and asking questions to have the opportunity to say, hey, love to know more, more about you. What do you like to read? This brings up a, an interesting point. Um, well, actually, two things come up. The first one is, there was this, you said that there was sort of this shift where it became, you felt like an interrogation. Part of that was because he had it planned out probably. But like what, can you identify what you felt that was different during that shift? Um, it just felt a little one-sided to, at one point as to your um, question. Like how do you um, respond if you're on the other side of a sort of interrogation style? But it felt really good for a long time. It felt like this person's showing interest and, you know, I like to talk about what I'm reading and my favorite movies and, you know, that's, and then I felt like he was generally interested in me as a person and wanted to explore my interests and likes and um, it felt, you know, it, it makes you feel special. So you're generally better off doing that as long as you don't, you know, do it in a more mechanical way. When you say you're better off doing that you mean planning the questions, asking questions. or asking questions yes. and having some good questions at the ready it doesn't have to be like a list in your pocket but just being aware when you go to meet someone some good questions to ask you know like what keeps you busy what do you like to do you know what are some of your your kind of fun hobbies on the weekends what kinds of stuff do you read who do you follow on twitter um just sort of just having um, some questions that show curiosity and make that person feel good about themselves. So we, we like to frame this in the kind of structure of social generosity, being generous to the other person. Because um, we often are self-monitoring in a new situation. We're thinking about, you know, how I'm feeling. Am I feeling uncomfortable? Am I confident? Am I happy? And then I might think about, well, what do I think about this person? What do I think about Chris? Do I like him? Is he nice? If I'm on a first date, I might think, what is Chris thinking about me? I might have that kind of thought. 
but I don't always think, how is Chris feeling about himself right now? And, you know, what can I do to make him feel better about himself? And that's the framework of social generosity. And that takes a little extra effort because it doesn't spontaneously pop into our mind the way how I'm feeling does. So the more that you can be socially generous, and it's a good thing to do in the world anyway, right, to make people feel a little better about themselves just by interacting with you. You know, we give money and, you know, donate our time, but we don't always think about being socially generous. And um, Can you define social generosity uh, so that way people are listening sure. to this have a little bit more clarity? Because you've mentioned a few different words around it, and I, want, I also want to have more clarity. So um, it's a really good question because people like different things. So in terms of being generous, if you say, well, what does that mean? How do I be generous? And so there are different... Um, elements, but there are some universals, and I call them social gifts, things that you can give people that make them feel better. Um, the first one is making them feel appreciated. You know, point out something you respect about them, like, hey, Chris, this was really impressive that you started this business and you have this fabulous website and you've been on TV. You know, show genuine respect for something about the person. Um, the second gift, as I'm calling it, is um, having a connection, so showing something that you have in common. So be conscious to point out where you agree with someone rather than disagree. So if they saw a movie and loved it and you didn't like it, you can say, well, I thought the acting was great. You don't have to point out where you disagree. And that's just, okay, we have something in common. We share some interests or values, and then I feel um, better about myself. Um, another gift is elevation. You know, there's some people that just you know, put a smile on your face and, you know, you feel happier from being around them. Some people are just neutral and some people are downers. You feel like more negative from being around them. So having an ability to elevate people's moods, even if it's just by smiling or being in the moment or having something fun to, to, to share, um, is a gift. Um, and the last one is something we call enlightenment, and that's about sharing some information or facts. It makes you more interesting if you have some in, something to talk about. So for people that are, some people are really good at gleaning from the world or their day, stuff that's interesting to talk about that, you know, facts and information, but some people are less skilled at that. They may be highly intelligent, but it's just not their kind of the way their mind works. So I just recommend a little homework before you go on a date or a party. Just scan the internet for some fun topics, something that's not, you know, super politically charged, but just, you know, fun topics. Um, and since I know you have a lot of men, again, in your audience, this is something that men tend to a little bit um, overplay. We call it male pattern lecturing. Men sometimes tell me after these simulated dates, after they've delivered a lecture on something, that it makes them feel like they're providing a lot of value and that this is something that's really appealing to women. Um, and, um, and it is, there's a, you know, like I said, it is a gift. It's fun to be around people that have stimulating things to talk about. But it's really about balance. So if you're talking a lot and lecturing, you're depriving the other person of these other social gifts that might make them feel good. So because your title of your um, organization is about charisma, um, people that have a really nice balance of these things are often very charismatic. And if you think about someone that's really appealing, they might make you feel really good about yourself and connected to them and put in a better mood and stimulated by something interesting that they had to share. It's a really nice, um, it's a really nice manner to have. Um, so if you think about, again, going back to asking your buddy, not your date, 
your friends, you know, do I have more of a tendency to be like try to be jokester and try to be focused too much on levity or giving too much information? And, you know, where do I sometimes overplay some of these things? Because you really want to be generous, make people feel good about themselves. You want to be aware of what you're not delivering enough of. Um, and Because sometimes, you know, um, someone can leave the interaction feeling like you were really funny or smart, but that you didn't really show any appreciation to them or connection, and then they feel like um, deprived of that and, you know, less uh, attracted to you than if you had that nice balance. Can you give us a few different examples of what that might look or feel like? Well, again, just showing some, going out of your way to be thoughtful about when someone says something that you really respect to verbalize it. A lot of times you might be impressed with someone, and sometimes men tell me they're intimidated by women that have really high-powered jobs or have things that they think are superior to them, so they tend to not go there and not express a lot of uh, respect and admiration for all their accomplishments. Um, but that feels good, and it's a nice thing to do. And sometimes people just feel some discomfort so they don't verbalize these things. Um, or they might tend to be a little contrarian rather than agreeable, and then they miss the gift of being connected. And sometimes people can start a situation um, on a negative tone, not because um, – you know, they're a negative person, but something might just have happened. Like, they might have been late. So I've had a simulated date. The guy was late, and so he was giving a long explanation about the cab was took the wrong route, etc. And it, and it had, like, a whole negative tone. So it really um, compromised the levity um, factor there. So that was harder to, to, to um, recover from that. And um, So would it be like... Me saying, like, if we were on a date, saying, no, and you told me you wrote a book, and I say, you know, I think it's really cool that you were able to write a book. That's something I've always wanted to do, and, and the fact that you're able to do it, I mean, it's just so cool. Or, I, I, you know, the fact that you own your own business is just, like, the coolest thing. Like, I've, I like I admire you so much for doing that. Or you finish, like, the fact that you yeah. did a PhD, like, that's so awesome. Like, I've, I've always wished that, like, is that, that's what you're, you mean? Exactly. Okay, okay. That's exactly what you could do. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just I just want to make sure that people are listening to this have like specific vocabulary. So just like complimenting people and finding things that we really like about the other person and, and expressing that to them. And that's a good point. And it, um, it's better to compliment someone on their accomplishments than on their appearance on the very first time because then someone, people sometimes feel uncomfortable to either apologize or accept it. And so you can do that a little bit further into the interaction. But um, if you co- compliment their talents, it's a little bit easier for people to accept that and feel good about themselves. That's awesome. Uh, The other thing I feel like, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong or what your your thoughts are on this, I feel like oftentimes guys will focus or fixate on looks and without making the person ever feel like they really like the other person for them. And that can create some level of subconsciousness. Yes. And so if someone's attractive, um, he or she probably knows she's attractive and it's good to be complimented and it's good to know that someone is attracted to you. But if you can go beyond that to saying, you know, something that they've done or they do or even if, you know, they 
you know, volunteer at a, at a dog shelter, something that you can genuinely feel respect for, you're getting more into the core of their emotions and themselves in a way that fosters much more chemistry. I, it's funny, I was thinking, um, I've been thinking a lot about mindfulness in various forms, and we have a lot of people come in here and talk, come on here and talk about mindfulness, and you mentioned it earlier, and there's all these different forms of, of mindfulness, like uh, practices, right, like loving kindness or gratitude, and um, yes. I feel like complimenting should be like a form, <laughs> for guys at um, least, yes. because so many guys struggle with it, like just making a conscious effort for us as men to tell the people around us what we appreciate, admire around them. Yeah, it is. And I'm a loving kindness meditator practitioner myself. So um, uh, it, there is definitely a connection. And um, it fosters a really positive environment around you. So one of the benefits of meditation is not just to feel better yourself, but it actually affects the people all around you in positive ways that's contagious. Yeah, yeah that's an absolutely beautiful point. I know that when I'm around people and I'm able to make them feel good, it makes me feel better. And and sometimes yeah. if I'm in a funk, that's something that I have to push myself to do. <laughs> but, yeah. but it's not like it. But you know it's a good thing because you're giving. Yeah. I think that's a great point. You you talked about getting into first impressions, and I'm wondering if you could talk a little about why first impressions are important and what makes a great first impression. Sure. Um, so I'll... I'll do a little psychology if that's okay. Um, just some general things. First impressions are kind of like a filter. The first things people see about you will filter how they're going to perceive you for a long time. And um, so these things are going on unconsciously. We're evaluating others and they're evaluating us on these very initial behaviors. Um, and so whether it's, you know, good or not, it just, it is, it's part of the way our brains work. So for example, the first things we learn about someone are weighted more heavily than, late, than later things. So it's a primacy effect. So if I see that you're a kind person, and then later you do a lot of negative things, I will still weight that kindness much more strongly than any of the other behaviors I see later. So if you start out, like you said, if you're in a funk and you make an effort to be, you know, present and happy, then I'm going to assume that, you know, that's the way you are more than any of the behaviors that you might reveal later about your funkiness. Um, there's also these cluster illusions, um, the way we filter people. If I see one positive quality about you, I may assume that you have a whole host of other positive qualities, that you're also more socially successful and intelligent, when I've not observed them, and they may not be true. That's called the halo effect. And the other side of that is the horns effect. If I see you acting rude or angry, um, I'm going to assume you have a cluster of other negative qualities that may not be true. So if you're aware of that, and you know that, just like my example with the person who was complaining about the bad cab driver, and just put that aside, um, then you know, I wouldn't, you're less likely to be assumed to have a cluster of other negative qualities. Um, the other thing to know about is there's something called the fundamental error of attribution. And that means when I see someone acting rude, I assume that that's their personality trait, that that's how they are always and everywhere. I'm attributing their behavior to a personality. But if when I'm angry, um, I don't attribute it to my personality. It's to something situational or temporary, like I just had a 
difficult transportation issue or something. So um, I don't see that I'm in any way presenting myself as a uh, difficult person, but that's how people will perceive me. And so there is this you know, asymmetry going on. Um, so if you are aware of these things, then it's really simple to make the first five minutes or the first interaction you have be positive and also be aware of your body language, and that will affect the whole tone of your relationship. And that can mean whether a relationship or a romance or a business connection happens or not. And um, you can overcome these, but it's a lot easier to start at a positive platform. Um, like your facial expression is super important. And I don't suggest people really change who, the, who they are in general with the one exception that if they don't feel like smiling or they're just not a big smiler, it's just not their natural kind of facial expression, to put on a smile when they meet someone. Because um, we scan faces at this really primal level for threat or safety. And we notice frowns or scowls really quickly because it signals danger to us. And if someone's smiling, it signals um, safety, comfort, etc. So it makes a huge immediate effect on people. Um, and it's so easy to just put on a smile. It doesn't cost you anything. It takes only the slightest muscle movements. So, um, and speaking of, um, you know, this kind of paying it forward and social generosity, there's data that just being smiled upon affects pro-social behavior. So they had an experiment where they had a passerby go by, and someone either smiled at the passerby or didn't. And then a little further down the sidewalk, someone dropped something, their confederate. And the person that was smiled upon was significantly more likely to help the person that dropped things than the person that wasn't smiled upon. So these very subtle, brief facial expressions or smiles can affect how people feel about themselves and, how, and their behavior and their, their you know, willingness to be cooperative and nice people. So again, it's another aspect of that generous um, framework. A couple of things come up for me. Um, one, I was thinking about a guy I know who was sort of like floating around my social circle for a while and isn't really anymore. But on four or five different occasions, women told me separately that they didn't feel comfortable around him, but they couldn't quite articulate why. And um, that was one thing. And the second thing I thought about was just sort of this idea of eye contact. Um, we don't eye hold eye contact when we're nervous, but I was in a men's group. That's one of the reasons we, a person might not hold eye contact or fear. Um, but I was in this men's group facilitation thing a, a few months ago, and there was this exercise where we were trying to distinguish between when somebody's telling a story, if they might have fear or shame around them. And what came up was with fear, people tend to freeze. And with shame, they tend to look down because they don't want to be seen. And I was just thinking about sort of how our internal dialogue, um, how can how it can manifest into our body language and people can pick that up. Because I think that's what was happening with the example of the first guy who was floating through my social circle. Like, women were picking up maybe something that they felt uncomfortable around his thought. I don't really know for sure. Uh -huh, but it could have been his, his facial expression, and it may have been his... And eye contact is really important, so that's um, that could very well be a factor that makes people seem uncomfortable. And then um, in that sort of, like... 
um, fear category versus safety. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll use one more example, and then maybe I'll ask a more a specific question. Like, uh, I was actually watching an interview with Eckhart Tolle, Tolle yesterday, and he was saying how he was talking about how our emotions can be wrong, and how a woman moved uh, lived lived with him like years ago. He was renting out a room, and after the first day, she said that she wanted to move out, and he goes, "Okay." And then, uh, like, didn't fight it at all. And then she goes, you know, I'll stay one more night. She stayed the next night and decided that she was going to stay there. And later on, said, like, she, like, basically she felt incredibly comfortable <laughs> living with him. And, um, but it freaked, it, she thought it was super weird the first time she met him because he's, because of his uh, mannerisms. So I guess the question is, um, if somebody is giving off a vibe that's making people feel uncomfortable, um, how, how do they become aware of it and how do they begin to make some of those modifications? Um, all right, that's a good question. There's a couple of things. Some people are self-aware. They know that when they're in the situation that's uncomfortable that they look down and they feel safer doing that and they, they have self-awareness of what they're doing. Some people don't and that's where I go back to my, my buddy feedback method. Um, you know, ask someone, I sometimes think my body language changes when I'm uncomfortable or when I'm meeting new people or um, let me know if you see me doing X or Y. So if you have, either way, you can surface it through someone telling you and if you ask for it and really be genuine that you'd like to know, people will be, if they're a kind friend, will we'll give you that kind of feedback. Or if you know about it, then you can sort of practice and say, okay, I know that I tend to look down. And um more research, there's, um, people study eye contact and that if you look at someone like average is like 70 or 80% of the time and that feels natural and good. If you go much below that, some people, it's not only when they're in a new situation, but they just make less eye contact and they're not aware of it because they look away more than others. So they don't really know what the data is or what the norms are. Um, so just practicing, again, incrementally, I'm going to try to force myself 10% more. Or when I know that I'm looking down, I'm going to look up. And I'm going to just try to get new habits just gradually. And do it in, you know, um, every time you're in a situation like that. Challenge yourself to try it and to do it a little bit further. People that don't smile as readily, I give them feedback to say, okay, practice smiling when you buy a cup of coffee this morning or when you walk into your office and you see the receptionist. Just practice doing that until it becomes like easier and more natural. Um, and then you can turn this from conscious effort into just a habit. Like I know that if I look at the person, then things go a lot better. Or I know if I smile, then the interaction, you know, in any situation, business or social, goes better. So it seems like the really obvious and natural thing to do, and then it gets reinforced until it's no longer a challenge. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. 
Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows, attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. We talked a little bit about listening before, and I feel like we listen with our ears, but we also listen with our eyes and our bodies to to a certain extent. Can you talk a little bit about what it means to be an effective listener? Yeah, so... um... I think this is a really great point, um, Chris, that our bodies really demonstrate a lot more than our words do. So if you're really looking at someone when they're speaking, if I'm looking, if you start looking away at other people in the, in the, you know, restaurant, that sends a really strong message that you're not paying attention to what the person's saying. So there's a lot of, um, books and research and, and, proclaims, proclamations about body language, but not many of them are really hold true. But the most important ones are... Um, Can you give an example of that? Slightly, well, there's some people, there's some um, proclamations that if you look to the left, you're thinking this. If you look to the right, you're thinking that. If you, you know, um, move, if you cross your leg in one direction or the other direction, that means things. And that hasn't been really borne out by any scientific research. But the things that do, are borne out is um, your posture and leaning slightly forward towards a person shows that I'm trying to hear everything you say versus when I'm leaning back, it's I'm, I'm not demonstrating an attentive um, kind of posture towards you. So it doesn't mean you should be like, you know, right nose to nose, but leaning forward is going to show a lot more interest. Um, and then the eye contact again. So it's very important that when you're asking someone more more about their hobbies or interests that you look them in the eye and show that you're really attending to them and not distracted. Um, there are people that just have a habit of looking around rooms when they're talking to people and it sends a really uncomfortable message. So that's something to be aware of. Even if you are someone that normally makes good eye contact, if there's a lot of stuff going on, um, try not to be distracted. Make this, put the spotlight on this other person um, and hold it there. Um, and then again, the smiling and facial expressions are going to be really important. Well, one of the things I thought about as you said that was just how it could be that a person's distracted, but it, oftentimes our eyes move and our bodies move where we, we value. And I see this both in interactions, like when two people are talking, but also when we take somebody out to a singles event and there's a group of three or four or five people and one person has their feet facing, everyone has their feet facing towards what would be like the the center of the circle. And one person is sort of faced a different direction. Their feet are faced a different direction and they're scanning the room. Like their, their value is not in the conversation. The value is somewhere else. And it might be they're looking yeah. for someone to come in. They might be looking for someone they want to meet. They might be like, but that they're there with a different intent than the other people in the circle. And, and that be and we. And the message is that I'm bored by the people in the in the circle. Or they're not valued. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Or I don't. I don't value them. Or like, you're. Or they're feeling rejected. You mean? Well, I, I mean, if if I'm facing you and I'm mirroring your body language and I'm leaning in when I'm communicating to you. 
on some level is that like in this moment, I value, like you are like the value in my life, right? Like there's yes. that there's value there. And if I break any of those things, whether it's because I'm feeling self-conscious, uh, I'm distracted, I'm uninterested, I'm going through these, uh, my own sort of internal um, process where I'm, I feel uncomfortable, whatever it is, like, regardless, like I'm, when I start breaking these things, I don't hold eye contact. I face a different direction. I begin scanning the room. I'm communicating to you that I don't value what you're, you're saying or your presence in my life in that moment. Yes, exactly. And it's very evidently picked up. Um, These things are really primal. So you notice right away that person is not valuing me they're looking away and um it makes you very uncomfortable so going back to the mindfulness you know be here now so if you're in this situation you're talking to someone be in the moment um you know focus your attention on that person on the conversation you can have many conversations but you should be present for each of them and so again it's the showing interest keeps cultivates the presence and being there. I think that's an awesome point. When you talk about presence, can you articulate what that is for people who might not fully understand the idea? Um, so it's about being not having mental distractions. And this is, again, a mindfulness thing where you, you know, it's part of life is mental distractions. But if you do practice being completely present and trying to kind of let go of, release other thoughts, like I wonder who just entered the room over there, or I'm worried about X, or, um, you know, what am I going to do later? And just be in the moment. Since you're talking to that person, you're going to have a better experience personally, even if you're not being generous. If you are listening, paying attention, making the most of that conversation, you will be have a better time then even if it's someone that you initially don't think that you're going to have an interesting experience with, make it kind of your mission to find something to like about that person, to really explore them. And so it's just about releasing the distracting thoughts that are natural, even to someone that's fascinating when we have distracting thoughts. But um, with practice, you can say, let me make this my mission. Yeah, I think that's so awesome. I I'm going to revert back to something you said earlier in the podcast and something that I remember from years ago. I had walked into this talk and this dating coach was up on stage and he was saying how anytime you don't feel comfortable in a conversation, just change it to something that you feel comfortable talking about. And I remember thinking any person I know who's super charismatic and like really great with people, um, not not one of them does that. <laughs> Instead, what they do is they, they start becoming very curious about the thing that they don't understand and or that yeah. they don't know very much about and, and and during that process they have a way of making the other person feel important. Do you see where I'm going with this? I totally agree with you and not that speaker. Um, that segueing segueing back to yourself or to something else is really not showing interest. It's not socially generous. And actually, you may find it really interesting what this person you know, their interesting little hobby or what the kind of work that they do that you've never heard of. Um, so, yes, I totally agree with you um, that that is much more charismatic. And then it's 
again, giving people these social gifts of feeling respected and connected and that you value that and it's you share some kind of interest in that or you are developing an interest in that. Yeah. And so like, that's what I was, I brought that, I went back to that because I think it connects to what you're just saying, like to find, to make it a mission to find something that we or I or the person listening to this really likes about the person they're interacting with or loves about them or like that process of trying to connect. It's like really an active process of trying to connect. Um, yeah. So putting aside your kind of like in mental interruptions of, I don't care about this topic, I don't care about this person, and saying, I want to explore this. Now, it doesn't mean that you should allow yourself to be, you know, cornered. If you're on a long flight with someone and they're telling you only about themselves, you can change the topic at some point. You can say, that's really great that you like to do polo. I've never heard it, never met anyone that, you know, I personally, I'm a runner and I like to do this. You can do that in a long conversation. It doesn't mean that you, you know, um, can't segue things just to try to balance it. Um, but in the first impression in a short interaction, you're going to be way more charismatic and have a much more interesting experience yourself if you're in the moment and really focused on them. Something else that I was thinking about as you said that is, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, I feel like the ability to have that social conversational flexibility is on some level a reflection of emotional and social health, like internally. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. What What are your thoughts on that? Um, so I agree. It's about, you know, social psychological health is being self-aware. And so mindfulness is a technique that helps with that. And also um, being really open to feedback again and like sort of having curiosity about yourself and thinking, you know, I notice when I talk to people all these aspects, what about me? How am I coming across? What kind of vibe do I give off? What kind of social gifts do I give off? And asking for people, asking people for feedback. Now, here's an interesting thing. Um, in the dating world, as I mentioned, unless you come to a dating coach like one of us and get specific feedback, you don't really get to, to learn from it. But if you have a job, your boss is um, role is to give you feedback. So you may be able to ask your boss and say, hey, I know this when I'm in meetings, sometimes um, I'd like to be more assertive or I think sometimes I dominate. Can you give me some feedback about how I come across in these situations? So there's a built-in feedback opportunity at work that you can apply to your social world. I think that's an absolutely great point. Um, something else I want to ask you about, and it made me think about this idea of feedback, is sometimes we get negative feedback and it's un sometimes it's warranted sometimes it's unwarranted somebody has a trauma and they're projecting on us um like how does somebody distinguish because i, I mean and you can tell me if you disagree with this conclusion I, I find that when people are in a really healthy place they feel safe they feel comfortable uh, they expand and when they feel uh like they're not in a safe place they feel under stress stress or stress response or uh they've ex recently experienced trauma then they can they contract and this happens in all kinds of different ways but if somebody gets a negative feedback where somebody projects something onto them because somebody else is having a bad day or it triggered something to them or they're just maybe they're mean how, how do they differentiate between that feedback so it doesn't in 
cause them to contract in their next interactions? Yeah, um, it's a really good question. So um, I'd like to think that it's always nice to welcome feedback and not defend it um, because then if you defend yourself, you're going to close yourself off from feedback. So it's good to say thank you for the feedback. Um, then it's, if there's something that doesn't resonate with you, you could ask other people and say, you know, I was wondering, you know, if I come across as if someone said that you were, you know, dominating or aggressive. Um, I be, I'm curious whether there are times when I might be too dominating or aggressive. If you see me behave in some ways like that, that I can learn from. So if you try to get validation from other people, you can put that in perspective. And then you can try to have um, compassion for the other person who might have some challenges that lashed out on you and, you know, not judge them for that and sort of release it. If, some, if everyone else says, no, actually you're very well balanced and you're not dominating or aggressive or whatever, then you can, you know, put that aside and not let it bother you and not be something that you need to work on. Um, so, but you could certainly explore it. And there are sometimes blind spots we have that are not coming from a place of, of meanness, but some people are not skilled in the way they deliver the feedback. And so sometimes we may reject it or feel defensive when actually there's some value in that. So you want to be able to um, be open to anything, but ask other people, your, your trusted confidants. Again, you can use your boss um, or, you know, a, a close buddy to make sure that um, the feedback that you're hearing has a trend or a theme or it's a one-off and it's that person's thing. Yeah, I really like this idea that of just sort of getting feedback from friends you've, or one social circle. You've mentioned that multiple times. You talked a little bit about like this at the beginning, this 360 survey. Because I, as you talked about feedback from a boss, I was thinking about a good friend of mine who she recently got a poor review and how that's affected her. And she still is quite affected by it, but she she doesn't think it's warranted. And it's some of the healing that she's getting is as a consequence of talking to other people who who disagreed with the evaluation. And I thought about a date I had years ago with a girl who um, was qu quite harsh on me after the date. And uh, it's like my early 20s. And I remember calling a friend of mine afterwards and trying to talk to her to get like perspective. And she told me, she's like, that's bullshit. You don't, don't ever go with that. You are not going out with that girl ever again. And, and it's just how this idea that sometimes these things can be true or there might be a truth in it, or maybe somebody's projecting and whatever. But like, it's when we go back and get feedback from the people around us who care about us that, that we can gain some, a healthier perspective. So it doesn't turn into a, a permanent trauma. Yeah, that's really great. I'm, coaching someone, uh, an executive coaching that had a bad experience and that just like kind of crushed his mojo and then um, really has to work to recover from it. So if you can try to do as you said your friend did, you can prevent yourself from having your whole confidence and mojo compromised and that can spread and then, you know, make you less effective in a lot of aspects of life if, if you let something like this really traumatize you. So it can be a, a, if there's any kernel of truth, it could be something to energize you to actually get better at it. 
and B, if it's not accurate, to let release it, you know, and say, okay, that's not really the way I come across to most people, so I don't want to let this compromise how I feel about myself, and it's not something I need to work on or address. I'll work on the things I need to, but I won't let something that someone told me on a one-off thing um, affect, you know, my how I feel about myself. Do you have any tips for release, releasing that? Because I feel like sometimes this stuff can be like a pebble in one shoe. Um, it can be. Um, and so, um, and it might, it, the, the real trick is not to let it kind of get into your shoe, so to speak. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you can try to, um, you know, explore it in an open way when it happens, um, think about whether it's consistent with any other trends of feedback you've gotten. Ask other people for some, you know, observations of you and then be able to say, I'm not going to put that in my shoe. Once it's in your shoe, it's a little hard to get out of, but you can. We all know we've all taken our shoe out and shook it off and moved on. But, um, you know, it can be um, something that you gradually release, just like um, part of self-acceptance, as I think as you're a mindfulness practitioner, is saying, okay, I know I'm not fabulous at this. I have a 10 year. I'm never going to be a great musician. That's okay. I feel fine about myself. You know, I don't have to be a perfectionist in all these things. So if there's somebody gives me some harsh feedback, I can release it and say, you know, that's, um, I'm not going to put that in my shoe. And if I, and if I get it in there, I'm going to like gradually let it go. And there's sort of the scales get tipped over time. You'll have more and more positive experiences that will outweigh that, that negative experience. I think we've all had some, um, some of that trajectory where something happens to us that we ruminate about until it sort of cycles out of our kind of mind. Um, so just letting it go and saying, okay, um, that was a one-off thing. That's not something that's true to my nature. It's not something I'm going to worry about when my thought goes in that direction and I notice it. I'm going to release it and come back to being in the present. It makes me think about just the importance of us knowing ourselves. And sometimes that foundation can get shook. And I remember having a conversation recently with a friend and and it, it turned out that we, we had a mutual friend. And I was just talking about how much I admired this guy, this this man who I know, and and she figured out who it was and it turned out she knew him. And uh and she was saying that she one of the things that he had confided to her was that she's like, people say that had told him that he was robotic and I was just like and so he had, had kind of picked himself up apart a little bit around that and I was just saying how he's one of the people I admire the most in life and and I don't really feel like he's robotic I feel like he's I, I just don't get that vibe from him and um, maybe I could see why people think that but it's it's interesting because he's just such an amazing human being on so many levels and I feel like if he just embraced who he was and built off that it would be the right people are going to flow into his life. Mm. So you think he has a, a stone in his shoe? Yeah, I think yeah, I think he got like a little bit. I think this was like a little bit of a stone in his shoe uh, type of situation where I'm like, you know, so many people people might just not connect with him in the way that other people might connect with him. And those are the people who you're not. We're not all going to connect with everyone. Right. So that's okay. Yeah, that's that's what or I'm not. getting at. 
Yeah, I'm sorting yeah. through my thoughts, but I think that's what I'm getting at. Accepting your foibles as long as, you know, you're fine with them, you accept we have strengths and weaknesses, we still strive to be good people and generous, etc., but that we can accept who we are and um, and be comfortable with it. And that'll make you happier and make the people around you happier. Um, so I just want to touch on the feedback thing again because... Um, you know, if someone gives you unsolicited negative feedback, that's really, um, and they do it unskillfully, that's really um, not effective. So you get better feedback when you personally solicit it. And it's hard sometimes for people to give you negative feedback. So if you say, hey, tell me two or three things I do really well in, you know, my social skills when we're in these parties or whatever, and one, just one little thing I could do even better. People are more comfortable telling you that um, than if you don't provide that kind of balance. And if you solicit it, you're more likely to go to people who you trust are kind of stable, perceptive people than from someone that might be struggling or less skilled in, in communicating. That's an awesome point. When you do these 360 surveys, is that, is that part of the process? What do those look and feel like? The, the um, survey is really a deep dive into interpersonal style and body language. And so um, we have these different fundamentals of making a positive first impression about how accessible you are, how much you show interest, how you navigate topics, how you self-disclose, um, your sort of psychological self-presentation, you know, how you come across as positive or negative. Um, etc., and your physical presentation or, you know, sex appeal, etc., and have people rate you as whether, um, you know, you're doing this if you're really hitting the mark or if you should do a little bit more of each of these behaviors or a little bit less, like smiling. Do you smile, you know, the right amount, too much, a little bit, way too much, a little too much, etc. Um, and it's a really great way to get anonymous feedback about how you come across because, um, it is hard to poll a lot of people, you know, um, on, you know, 20 different things. That's a little bit awkward kind of social conversation. But if you do it in this survey format, you get anonymized, really helpful feedback that gives you this great self-awareness. And then you see trends, again, unlike this one-off, like, bad review or harsh comment. So you can see where there are strong trends, and then you can say, okay, that is something that you know, I should be conscious of. And that might make me a happier person if I tweak that. That might make people more comfortable around me. Do people send these out through email or how does this? Yeah, it's sent out by email. So we send you a link. You can send it out to as many people as you like. And then we'll compile it and give you your results and, and a little debrief. That's awesome. As I was thinking, there's a few themes that sort of I hear run through this. One is just this idea of awareness, right? How important awareness is in of ourselves and the people we're interacting with or trying to connect with and trying to do the second thing, which is create connection. That's what all of us are trying to do. And I, th I feel like sometimes that gets sort of like swept under the rug. But I, I was walking out of a bar the other day and I told this girl who was helping my, me with my class, I said, look at that line. And she looks at it and I said, every one of those people whether they realize it or not, are trying to find connection. That's why they're here. And she's like, I'll never look at a bar line the same way. And 
I think in like the sea of dating, or I feel like in the sea of dating, as we go out there and we're we're swimming around, sometimes this can get lost. That the goal really is to connect, and what you're talking about is when we're trying to create a first impression or build a, like a, a understand our, what type of impression we give off. Um, like it's really part about a part of connecting. Yeah, it's a basic human desire is to connect with people and so um like you said if you're self-aware and you know yourself you can make little changes that allow you to connect more readily and more easily when you want to so it's um it's the foundation to connection we're getting towards the end of the time and um any tips suggestions words of wisdom for the people who are listening who want to build deeper connection and have better first impressions um yeah just my my little practice i give to people in the dating world is don't go out with the intention of connecting with the right person that day or whatever but practice being in the moment so having a conversation with someone where you feel some you know, um, you have a pleasant interaction and practice doing that. And then in the course of it, you'll find someone that you super connect with. But practice that being here now. So as you mingle through situations, practice being in the moment, have a little bit longer conversation with some people that you might not feel an instant vibe with than you normally would. And then you'll kind of stretch that muscle. and It'll become more of a habit and you'll exude more positive energy and this has been incredible thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me it's been a pleasure and if you're listening to this you want to learn more about Anne, her coaching her books or her book um and all the stuff that she does i'm going to post some links on the craft charisma website within the description of this podcast so you can learn about her more easily thank you again for chatting with me thanks chris it was a lot of fun it's dating coach chris Thona here Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, Go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.